So this morning, uh, we uh, have, um, I guess you'd call it a guest, but actually he's part of our fellowship here at Community. Steve Forthice is going to be uh, sharing the word this morning. We're in our Matthew series right now, and so he's going to continue on in that journey. And for those of you who are just saying, okay, where is the other pastors? Well, I've just, uh, I've let them all go. I'm just, it's, it's just, no, no, it's not true. It's not true at all. I just think, you know, I say that, people at home might say, what's going on in that church? We uh, actually, uh, Duran and Kevin are back at a uh, conference uh, every year. The, um, the denomination, EMCC, Evangelical Missionary Church of Canada, uh, puts on a, a gathering of pastors and staff, and that's where they are right now. And so um, just remember them in your prayers, because when you go to a conference like that or assembly, there's always opportunities to be refreshed and renewed, and so we're really trusting that God will speak through uh, that opportunity. And so before Stephen um, gives uh, us a, the word, let me just pray. Lord, we thank you that we can be able to um, uh, hear from Stephen. We thank you for the words that you've placed on his heart. And I pray that as he speaks, Lord, the words of Jesus would speak through to us. We thank you for this opportunity that we can learn the ways of Jesus through the book of Matthew. And we ask, Lord, that you would now just anoint Stephen as he preaches in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, thank you, Bill. Uh, I'm kind of bummed. Uh, I was hoping all the leadership would be away. I'm going to have to rein in what I was planning on saying, be a little safer here. But uh, seriously, I want to thank you um, again for the opportunity to speak. You see here my highly unprofessional title for today's sermon, Being Childlike in a World Where That's Kind of Hard to Do When You Think About It. Um, but we're going to get into that. Uh, but before we do, um, I just want to acknowledge that our passage today, it does glance upon the topic of self-harm. Uh, we'll be discussing it in more detail later on, but I didn't want to just like spring that on you unannounced, um, especially if you struggle with that. Um, and if you do struggle with self-harm or even just with general mental health, uh, please consider making a call to the BC Mental Health Hotline, uh, which is up on the screen. Um, there's no area code. It's just those uh, seven digits. Um, they provide toll-free support and resources for you. And if you need to talk to a real face, um, consider reaching out to an elder or to one of our pastoral staff or to just a trusted friend. You're not alone. So without uh, further ado, let's uh, please rise, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word. Matthew 18, verses 1 to 9. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him, and he placed the child among them. And he said, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, Cut it off and throw it away. 
It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. May God bless the reading of his word. You can take a seat. So, another easy passage. No problem, no issues here. I mean, come on. It starts out so promising. We're, we're in the middle of a series in Matthew, so I don't get that much choice on what passage I'm going to speak on. And I was reading it like, okay, I can work with this, I can work with this, and then, bam, the other shoe just drops. But it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Rick Watts' sermon from a couple of weeks ago, if you were here. Uh, this isn't the kind of Jesus you can set to the side or domesticate. To borrow a colloquialism, them's fighting words. Like, we need to figure this out. What is Jesus talking about with all this? And I think there's two main questions that we need to try and answer today if we want to understand this passage. What does it mean to be a child? And what does it mean to stumble? What does it mean to be a child? And what does it mean to stumble? But I want to start actually by setting the scene. Imagine, if you will, that you're one of Jesus' 12 disciples. You've been following him for the past couple of years. But lately, things have been getting strange. There was that business with Peter calling Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And he meant that. There were no maybes, and Jesus blesses him for it. And from that time on, Jesus began to explain to you that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And he, he won't stop talking about that. And to make matters worse, ever since, we've been marching towards Jerusalem instead of away. What's going to happen? Is Jesus really going to die? He's supposed to be the Messiah. Because if he does die, I'm not, I'm not so sure about this being raised to life part. And what about the kingdom of heaven that he keeps talking about? What's going to happen to it when Jesus is gone? So you get your nerve up. You talk with your friends. They share your concerns. You need to figure out what Jesus is really planning. Because this, this one does not sound so good. So you find a quiet moment, and the 12 of you go to Jesus and ask, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Because at the same time as you're concerned about Jesus and the kingdom, you got to make sure that, you know, if he does come out on top, where am I going to end up in this? Am I going to be one of those guys who, you know, dies or reigns forever, Right? And classic Jesus, never a straight answer, he calls over a child and says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. We've come to the first of our two questions. 
What does it mean to be a child? It's clearly important. The disciples are asking about who's going to be the greatest, and Jesus says, forget greatest. If you don't understand this, you're not even in. We've got to get to the bottom of this. Now, I do just want to clear something up since we're talking about being the greatest, and when Christians hear being the greatest, their instinct can be to think, that's, that's bad. We, we shouldn't seek to be great. We should be humble. And that's, that's true, but we can sort of fall into what I call running in humility circles. Uh, we get so worried about whether or not we're being proud that we can overthink things like this. I think the classic example is, for the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. I'm not going to go in the lunch line right away, because if I'm first, then I'll be last. So I should want to be last so I can be first, but then I'm trying to be first, so I'll be last. But maybe that's okay, because if I'm last, then I'll be first, and lunch is over. So I'm just going to clear this up with our passage. We do want to be great in the kingdom of heaven. We should seek that. But Jesus has a different idea of greatness. And in his kingdom, it looks very different. So we got it? Then let's go be great. And the first step is being like a kid. Huh. Another callback to Rick Watts here, he's showing up a lot, um, who pointed out one of the realities of the ancient world. Nobody really cared what teenagers or 20-somethings thought, let alone kids. Children are lowly. Like, it's, it's right there in the passage. This is not an exalted station as humans exalt things. This is not greatness as humans consider greatness. So to become childlike, we somehow have to set aside our desire for status and greatness and look to Jesus. There's an aspect um, of childlike trust. Jesus just calls this kid over, and the kid comes. Now, I'm not going to make any deep reads into this kid's character. We don't know if he grew up to, became, to become the greatest Christian of all time or if he just kind of walked away after. He's probably just a normal kid, as far as I'm going to go. But, he, you know, Jesus calls him and he comes. There aren't walls up here. He hasn't really had time to build those. Like, can you imagine if someone called you over and was like, really quick, can I use you as an object lesson for my disciples? You'd think something was up. You think they were pulling a prank on you or something. Or imagine as a parent, someone calls your child over to do the same. They're like, yeah, just come over here for a second. It'll be fine. Talk about stranger danger. The alarm bells are ringing. But this child, they trust Jesus. And it's this childlike trust that I think he's calling us to. And if you're getting nervous about that, that's because there's being a risk. There's a risk to being like a child. If you think back to when you were a kid, it's not hard to find examples of this. I can think of one instance in which I got lost at an NHL game because I was hypnotized by a hot dog rotisserie. <laughs> it was just these spinning hot dogs. It was beautiful. Um, but you know, not exactly award-winning intellect on that one. What I really remember about that moment is that after I was snapped out of my awe, uh, 
almost before fear even had time to cross my mind. My dad came wading through the crowd, calling my name, and it all turned out fine in the end. I tell you this story not just because it's funny. It is funny, but it's because no one is accusing me of brilliance in that story. I was a child, and children are lowly. They're weak, they're trusting, they're naive. Sometimes they're kind of dumb. They see the best in people because they don't know any better. And if things do go wrong, they kind of just assume their parents are going to fix it. Now, uh, we don't talk about this particular story very often in my house, uh, but I would imagine my dad had all kinds of things running through his mind. Because he did know better. He knew the dangers. What if he hadn't been able to track me down? I mean, what if someone just scooped me up and kept walking? And meanwhile, I'm there just going, yeah, but dad, those hot dogs... Children are vulnerable. That's what Jesus is calling us to, to be vulnerable, to be innocent, to take people at face value, and to have faith that our heavenly dad will sort things out, to forgive over and over and over and over and over. And that's not so easy to do, because we adults have have seen the other side. We've seen our trust broken. We're not innocent. Lord knows we don't always have faith. We want to establish ourselves and protect what's ours because otherwise we might be left with nothing. But Jesus says that's not the way. We need to become like children. But the, the incredible thing is when we're all childlike together, we actually create a community of that childlike trust, a community of warmth, of authenticity, of love. Can you imagine a group of people where you can just actually let your guard down? Like, actually? You can trust. No one's out to take advantage of you. You can just be who God made you to be. Where You know everyone wants to see the best for each other. Everyone puts each other first. That's Jesus' vision for the church. That's what he is calling us to be. By his grace, that's actually what we are sometimes. And isn't that so, so beautiful? Uh, I'm not going to pretend here a normal human being reaction to this is somewhere along the lines of, yeah, right? I mean, that's my instinct. This is just an impossible standard to meet. It's another perfect world concept that is obviously going to fail in real life. It's way too dangerous to even try that. You will be taken advantage of. People will hurt you. People will abuse that kind of power. Welcome to the second half of the passage. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble. It would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to stumble. Such things must come, but woe to the person through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. 
it is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. It's heavy stuff. This is serious stuff with serious eternal consequences. So we come to our second question. What does it mean to stumble? Because we need to know if we're doing it. Uh, this word, stumble, uh, is also often translated to fall away. Um, this is a very important distinction. This is not the same word used for sin. To stumble here is not referring to sin or to just sin. They're, they're closely related, but it's, there's a difference. It may shock you to learn this, but I actually sin all the time. Um, every Christian does. But you'll note, we still have our eyes and our hands. With stumbling, there's a sense of finality. As though you stumble and you don't get back up. You fall away. The stumbling block you read about in other parts of Scripture is something that people can't get past. And so it's talking about leaving the faith, which is very different than trying to follow Jesus, failing and trusting in his mercy and keeping on going. I wanted to stress this distinction because it's actually pretty easy to read this as if you sin, that's bad, but so far so good, by the way, that's true. Uh, if you sin, that's bad, and you should punish yourself for it. Christianity actually has a bit of history with this. There were Christians that would flog themselves, they'd take a stick and just start smacking themselves as a way of rejecting the flesh and renouncing their sin, their worldliness. And today, that we recognize the issue of self-harm from similar feelings of inadequacy, of loneliness, of shame, of unworthiness, but just as a way to express unbearable pain. And yes, even in the church, people struggle with this. I'm just here to tell you this passage is not advocating for that. God's heart for his people is not self-harm. You are made in his image. All of you. He is not calling you to deface that image. There was a punishment for sin, but he has borne it himself. He is the one who rules with mercy and justice. And if he declares it is finished, then it is. He loves you so much. He wants to break those chains. Amen? So coming back to our passage, um, at the same time as it's dangerous to take this to heart in the wrong way, it's also dangerous to not take this to heart and to cheapen these words. We can hear this and go, yeah, but not really. That's pretty, like, hyperbolic. God wouldn't really do that. And, you know, I just, I just want to say these words of Jesus 
are true. Jesus' words tend to be that way. Causing someone to leave the faith is a matter of eternal importance, not just for them, but for you and for me. And it actually would be better to have eternal life with one hand than go to hell with both. It's that serious. And we certainly should be evaluating parts of our lives that are pulling us away from Jesus. But you know, the odds are, if your eternal salvation is on the line, lopping off a limb is not going to solve that problem. There's something deeper going on in us. And perhaps that is what Jesus is getting at. Our pride, our fear, our self-determination. These things we actually do have to cut away in order to be like a child. So there's a warning in here. But there's also an aspect of encouragement. You may be thinking, how is this encouraging? Like, Stephen, you have not been very encouraging thus far. Uh, <laughs> but remember, Jesus is about to die. Wow, encouraging. Uh, he's told them that. He's just explained how in his absence, he wants his people to be vulnerable, trusting, and weak. That's not my dream combination for a kingdom, and it wasn't really theirs either. But when they follow Jesus because they believe him, and when they are taken advantage of, when the people they are shepherding fall away, when they are attacked and persecuted, and 11 out of 12 of these guys are killed for their faith, they might remember these words, and that Jesus is on their side, that he sees what is happening. Their destiny is eternal life, but for those who oppose them, there is a reckoning coming. Justice is coming. It's not for us to dole out, but it is coming. And we need that reminder too, that Jesus cares for us. He cares deeply. I mean, he cares deep enough to die for us and to live for us, and he will see justice done. It's because we know that Jesus is in control that we can actually be brave enough to risk being childlike, being vulnerable. We can aim to be that trusting, trustworthy community. Jesus will shepherd us. And that's actually encouraging. Back to the warning. Because if this goes once for unbelievers then it is double for those who claim to follow Jesus. Let me reread verse 6 with a bit of a different spin. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Remember who Jesus is talking to. He is talking to the people who will be leaders of his church. And he is talking to people who just asked him, who's going to be in charge when he's gone? And he says, if you take advantage of these trusting children, my children, 
if you lead them astray in order to exalt yourself rather than God, then you had best weigh the cost. There is a power that comes with living in a community of trust. And we've seen that power abused time and again in churches around the world. And we've seen it abused here at Hillside. We're likely to see it again. As the passage says, such things must come. But woe to the person through whom such things come. There is a responsibility that comes with being a Christian and with living in this sort of community. And to the future leaders of his church, he says, don't you dare. We are not in this for ourselves. And if you are, I seriously recommend thinking that through. It does not end well. There is no taking advantage of God. He sees your heart. But there is mercy even for this if you repent and confess that Jesus is truly Lord. And you know, if, if you... If you have been using the church for your own ends, I call you to repent. And if you haven't, be vigilant. Be careful, because this is serious. Oof. How are we doing? It's feeling pretty heavy. Because um, if we're being honest, we probably all done that intentionally or unintentionally, even just a little bit, though we fail to reflect God's love and we wind up driving others away instead of drawing them towards Jesus. But there is mercy. And I don't want us to leave feeling heavy today. Jesus' burden, as he says, is light. That we can actually cast our cares, our anxieties upon him because he cares for us. So let's take a moment to look at what we actually have. Jesus built and is continuing to build a community based on childlike trust in him. A community where we don't have to concern ourselves with our standing, our self-defense, or any of the myriad worries of the world. It's a community that he will defend. He shepherds us. And it is our eternal future to live in that kind of kingdom. Like children, following our Heavenly Father and our King. I want to invite the worship team up.